Thank you, uh, Gareth, and thank you all for that welcome. It does uh, feel like home, and uh, it's good to be back with you. You know, you really don't know what you have here. I've been preaching in a number of places, and uh, if I'm honest, uh, some of the places I've been, it's going back 50, 60, 70 years uh, in terms of the ethos and what they're, they're doing. So appreciate what you have uh, in this place and what God has done uh, here and is doing uh, with you. Uh, Billy Bernson tells me uh, his lunch is at half past 12. I have only two words in response to that, no chance, <laughs> especially when Gareth says I can preach as long as I like, uh, but we'll, we'll try not to be too long. Uh, but it, it's great to have the privilege of preaching uh, here in Orangeville, a place so obviously familiar to me down through the years. And I, I'm very pleased that Gareth was called to uh, minister here. Mind you, I'm sad that my name wasn't Gregory or something like that, because then you would have Gary and Gareth and Gregory, the three Gs, uh, and, uh, or the, the three, well, whatever. But um, uh, it, it's a great privilege to see this man of God being used as your new minister, love him and honor him along with his wife and family. Pray for them uh, and support them uh, all you can. And it's great to be back and to see Gary as well. Uh, you sent him away on sabbatical and he's come back with a full head of hair. Uh, but uh, oh, Well, not quite. But uh, it's just good to be back here. Uh, I was delighted when Gareth invited me to preach, and uh, then he suggested Matthew chapter 10. Uh, To my shame, I discovered that I last preached in this passage uh, way back in November 1985, in the old church from the pulpit that's where the cross uh, used to be. Now, on the off chance that uh, any of you remember what that sermon was, it's a different sermon. I've had to update the, the, the uh, uh, references from gas lamps to electricity and all the rest of it. But uh, anyway, this is uh, the passage that has been chosen for me, Matthew 10. I'm going to read uh, with you, if I may, verses 24 through to 39. So uh, Matthew chapter 10 and beginning at verse 24, let, let's hear God's word together. And Jesus, of course, is speaking. A student is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the student to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household? So do not be afraid of them. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your Father. And even the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. 
Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, a man's enemies will be members of his own household. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, how do we make sense of these words of Jesus? I pray that you would bring to us your Holy Spirit to interpret and to make clear your word to us this morning, to help us to apply it to our lives. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So I used to say to you about the story of the minister every Sunday took his watch off and placed it on the lectern, and the wee boy said to his daddy, Daddy, why does the minister do that? His father said, I haven't a clue, son, because it never makes any difference. Uh, But the the watch is there anyway. Uh, As I said, I was delighted when Gareth asked me to preach in this passage, but actually I found it quite a difficult passage. Uh, and, And my difficulty began right with the very first verse. There's so much in this passage that I find it difficult to think what would be the best to concentrate on. Uh, And it begins with a commissioning of disciples to do something that we pay lip service to in the church, but in practice, we find it very hard to take on board. Chapter 10 and verse 1 of Matthew. He called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease or sickness. And so right at the beginning of the passage, I was faced with a kind of dilemma. Where is there such power and authority evident in my life and in the life of the church today? We are pale imitations of what Jesus calls the church to be. And the issue surely must not be that the Lord's power is weak or diminished, but rather possibly the church's devotion is lacking. And if we were running an advertising campaign to encourage people to join the mission of Jesus, I guess we wouldn't talk much about persecution or opposition or self-sacrifice. Indeed, I think these are perilous times for the church because I think there's a danger that we're so keen to be liked by the world around us that we've fallen prey to the temptation to have a Christian faith that is devoid of hard choices that's too nice to say to people there's a reality of hell for those who do not bow the knee to Jesus and we all stand under the wrath of God and can only be saved through faith in Christ alone. And so I feel that this passage begins to ask me some very searching questions about my discipleship, my following Jesus. And as the church gathers in the meeting house here, Uh, And this morning, you haven't come to church. The church has gathered in the meeting house. 
I guess there are two main reasons that we should be here. One is that we are to worship God. Sometimes people say to me, the church that they're in doesn't meet their needs. Indeed, people have left Orangefield in the past because they've said to me, this church doesn't meet my needs. Now, if you feel that, I want to be very blunt. If you feel that the church is about meeting your needs, you've misunderstood the very purpose and reason for church. It's not about you or me. It's about glorifying God and demonstrating his love to the world. And Jesus is saying in these verses that the church is not about satisfying yourself but denying yourself. It's not about the me culture but about Jesus culture. And we need a view of discipleship that says something very radical, that worship isn't just a Sunday service but a whole way of life. So I think we come, first of all, to worship the living God. We secondly come to be equipped for God's mission, for kingdom living, for discipleship, for following Jesus Christ. And right now in Orangefield, and I love the, the banners that you didn't have up before I left, but I, I, I love that right now in Orangefield, being equipped for God's mission is about hungering for the Spirit of God, that the Spirit of God might give us genuine, authentic faith and intimacy with Jesus. It's about hungering after God's Word to read, and how encouraging it is to have seen the CBE group and Ark on the Way in this morning to know that I think you now have 10 groups uh, and many others and fellowship groups and people in this church are grappling with studying and hungering after God's Word, but it has to be applied to life. It's about caring for one another because Jesus commanded us to love one another with the same love that he has for each of us. And it's about loving our neighbors in a way that shows that mission is wherever we are, the school gate, in the office, in the home, in the neighborhood, and whether it's here locally or nationally or internationally or in Mumbai, it is about God's mission. And so those are two very, thing, very simple and basic things in uh, introduction to this morning. But there are three things I want to pick up from Matthew 10 with you this morning uh, and spend a little bit of time thinking about with you, if I may. And here's the first. If you're going to be a true disciple of Jesus, expect opposition. Expect opposition. Uh, and Jesus makes it very clear. He says, there will be verbal abuse. Uh, look at Matthew 10 and chapter 25. It's uh, enough for the student to be like the teacher and the servant like his master. We all want to be like Jesus, we say. But then he says, if the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, another name for the devil, how much more the members of his household? Jesus said, people will mock you, revile you, abuse you verbally. Uh, it's something that you, you have to come to terms with. You'll be called things today like narrow-minded, simplistic, homophobic, uh, and a dinosaur. Richard Dawkins has written this, Faith is the great cop-out, the great excuse to evade the need to think and evaluate evidence. Poor, deluded man. And I'm delighted that somebody with his immense intellect can be challenged today by 
two Ulstermen who also provide some of the most intellectually rigorous understanding of the Christian faith, Alistair McGrath uh, and John Lennox. We are privileged that Northern Ireland has uh, produced people like Keith Getty in the worship end of things, like Robin Mark, uh, and men like McGrath and like Lennox who can argue cogently for the Christian faith. But expect verbal abuse if you want to be a true follower of Jesus. Expect physical abuse. Uh, Verse 28 of uh, Matthew chapter 10, Jesus said, do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. We'll come back to that a little bit later, but let me just point out what you've heard from me before and many others besides, that the 20th century had more martyrs to the Christian faith in that one century than all the previous 19 centuries together. And when we look at our 21st century world, it's getting worse rather than better. More Christians are being committed to physical violence, to imprisonment, to torture, and even to death today than ever before. And Jesus says, if you want to be my follower, expect physical abuse. And then, maybe some of us think quite bizarrely, he says, if you want to be a follower of mine, expect division in your family. Uh, Verses 34 to 36, do not suppose I've come to bring peace to the earth. Do we call Jesus the Prince of Peace? Uh, He says, I have not come to bring peace but a sword. Uh, I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be members of his own household. Now, that may not be your experience, but it is true that there are many of us and some in this church for whom when we mention faith in our families, we find it hard to do so because it evokes arguments and tension and sometimes opposition and ostracization. Jesus said, if you want to be my follower, expect opposition. And with this rather disturbing view of discipleship, Jesus then seeks to bring reassurance to those who may be gripped with fear of persecution. He reminds us, in effect, that whilst others may have the power to kill us, no one except God alone can kill our souls. Let's look at Matthew 10, 28 again. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. There's a challenge. Do we have such a faith in God that we can say it will not matter and does not matter what anyone might be able to do to us physically or in the worst of circumstances? My faith is in God who alone has the power to consign both soul and body to hell. Therefore, he alone is to be feared and honored. Evil people may rob us of our lives, our earthly existence, but only God can destroy both soul and body in hell. These are very sobering words. And what I'd love to do is, secondly, spend maybe more time on this than the point previously and on the last point. And the, the second point is this, which I think is a spur to us to discipleship. Remember your worth. I think that's something that we we need to take on board, that we are so valued and valuable to God. Verses 29 
to 31 of Matthew 10. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your father. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. When we talk about things that are really cheap, we might say, oh, such such a thing's to a penny. Uh, 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 because they're so common or numerous. Uh, I wonder, did that expression, to a penny, originate with the saying of Jesus here? It, it, it seems that whilst we understand that in the sacrificial system, poor people would have been able to sacrifice a dove instead of an animal, a sheep or whatever it might have been, I understand, uh, I hope correctly, that the very, very poorest of people would have got away with sacrificing a sparrow. So they were sold to a penny because they were numerous and they were cheap and they were sold for a couple for the smallest coin available to people in those days. Uh, And yet Jesus says something remarkable. He said that not even a little sparrow could fall to the ground and die, but that God would know all about it. And then he says something so wonderful. You're so much more valuable to God, he says, than many sparrows. Now, let me reflect on this with you, if I may. You, you may think that you are one person among six billion in our world. You may wonder what this single life of yours or mine is worth to God among so many. But the Jesus who says, the Son of God who says that the the very sparrow that falls to the ground dead that most people wouldn't notice, God sees and notices and cares, is the same God who tells us, said Jesus, that the very hairs on your head are numbered. Wow, I find that incredible. I'm told that the average person, apart from Gary Ball, has 100,000 follicles on their head. Uh, and that the number varies according to hair color. Blondes have an average of 150,000. Redheads have an average of 90,000. And those with black or brown hair average between 100 and 110,000. So if the average is 100,000 hair follicles, multiply 100,000 by 6 billion, and you get a very large number. Uh, For the mathematicians among you, I I can't conceive of such a number. Uh, You can tell me afterwards, is is 6 billion times 100,000, 100,000 million thousands? Uh, You can tell me later. But here's the thing. Either we believe that it is impossible for God to have the hairs on the heads of 6 billion people counted Are we accept that Jesus, the Son of God, who tells us he is the truth in his very nature, tells us that is something we can and should believe? I believe him. So do not doubt your value to the Lord God Almighty. He knows everything about your life. He knows all about you. Uh, And uh, I read recently Eugene Peterson, uh, most famous for his message translation of the Bible, died recently. Uh, At his funeral, his son Leif, I I hope that's the right way to pronounce it, Uh, nothing to do with a Nissan Leif, but uh, L-E-I-F, if that's Leif, uh, I hope that will be acceptable. Anyway, Leif said this, 
that his dad had let him in on a secret early in life. It was, he said, a message that his dad whispered in his heart for 50 years. And as a child that he would sneak into his bedroom to say over him even as he slept these things. God loves you. God is on your side. He is coming after you. He is relentless. Isn't that lovely? Let me repeat that. God loves you. God is on your side. He is coming after you. He is relentless. It seems to me that the wonderful mystery of the God we worship is that he is ever keener to be connected with us than we are with him. I preached recently in Psalm 139, uh, the first part of that psalm where King David reflects on his intimacy with God. He says things like, uh, he, God knows when I sit and when I rise and when I go out and before I speak, uh, uh, before a word's in my tongue, God, you know it completely. He, he, in a world that didn't have all the incredible communication uh, that we have today, David had this intimacy and connection with God. Uh, and uh, we have never had a generation that is so connected in social media terms, in other ways as well, ways in which we can uh, get in touch with people that we know and love. But in effect, David says in Psalm 139 that as God's people, we always have his full attention. We're always heard by him, and we're never alone. Uh, we had eight of our family staying with us at Christmas. Uh, we've uh, just had our first grandson uh, produced in Bournemouth. And uh, so we had four, the Glasgow four and the Bournemouth four staying with us at Christmas. One time I went in to the uh, back living room to see if anybody wanted a cup of tea. Uh, daughter was in another room feeding the baby. Uh, granny was watching a television program with some of the grandchildren. Uh, eldest son and daughter-in-law and one or two other strays were on their phones. And I said, anybody like a cup of tea? Not a single person noticed me. Or responded, so I went off and made my own cup of tea and stole a tonics tea cake that I hope Barbara wouldn't notice. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I didn't have their attention. But God says, You always have my full attention. You always have my full attention. And you're always heard by me. Even your sighs and your groans are heard by me. And you are never alone. That's what it is to be valued by God. And that's what we celebrate when we gather in worship. It's the good news of the gospel. Sin has been defeated. Death has been overcome. We are forgiven by a God who loves us so much that he promises to choose to remember our sins no more. We have in Jesus new and everlasting life. We have an advocate on our behalf before God's throne. As true followers of Jesus, we have the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit within us to live for him. And that's what gives us hope. And in a number of weeks' time, we will know whether we're leaving the EU or not. Brexit, however, will not determine or influence our eternal destiny. Nor will whatever happens in this country or in our world change what God has done for us. We are valuable to God and valued by him. And that is part of our discipleship that surely gives us a spirit to keep going.
And the final point this morning is this. Love Jesus to find life. Love him to find life. Newspaper used to have, when I was younger, little cartoons, Love Is. And uh, somebody did a survey amongst primary school children about their understanding of love. Here's a couple. Carl, aged five, said this. Love is when a girl puts on perfume and a boy puts on aftershave and they go out and smell each other. (laughs) Uh, Emily, who's eight, said this. Love is when you kiss all the time. Then when you get tired of kissing, you still want to be together and you talk more. My mommy and daddy are like that. They look gross when they kiss. (laughs) The children are referring to what the Bible would call eros love. Uh, The Bible has, as you know, three words for love. Eros love is that love that we have in human relationships when two people come together before God and form a marriage or whatever. Uh, And then there's also uh, what our love for fellow human beings is called philos love, philos love. Uh, Philadelphia comes from that, the city of uh, brotherly peace. Uh, uh, And then the love that God has for us is called agape or self-sacrificial love. That is the love that you and I are to reciprocate with God. That's what Jesus calls us to do as his disciples. That's what it means to live in the kingdom, to love God with this agape, self-sacrificial love. Uh, And that means this. It means total devotion. Verse 37, anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Wow. If you say Jesus is Lord, that is one of the most far-reaching, radical things that you or anyone could say anywhere on earth. For if you say that Jesus is Lord and mean it, then you are saying that nothing and no one is more important to you than the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus points to the closest of familial relationships and says that by comparison, our love for those closest to us must pale into insignificance compared to our love for Jesus. And the first of the greatest commandments that Jesus spoke of was, love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. That's the first responsibility of a disciple. That's what it means to live in another kingdom, to live in God's kingdom. And of course, loving our neighbors as ourselves was the second great commandment. But first of all, first and foremost, God says, love me with everything you have. Don't hold anything back. Don't say, I love God with 95% of who I am and all that I have. Jesus doesn't want that. He wants 100%. And if you ever think that 100% is too much to give to God, this cross stands as a reminder that he gave everything for us. Gave up glory and the worship of angels and the presence of the Father to come to earth humiliating or humbling himself, rather, as a little baby. He said, love me with total devotion. And if you want to know what love for Jesus is, then it also means unashamed identification. 
Matthew 10 and verse 38, anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Taking up our cross does not, as some mistakenly believe, mean accepting some suffering or pain as the cross that Jesus has given them to bear. I I have sadly seen people suffering horrible and terrible things in life, and they'll sometimes say, this is the cross that God has given me. Well, I'm sorry, but it's not. It, it, It is a suffering, no doubt about that. But when Jesus says, if you're not willing to take up your cross, uh, uh, you're not worthy of me, he means if you're not willing to be identified with me, then you're not worthy of me. So when the world called you out in school or college or uni or in work or in the neighborhood, are you one of those Christians? You hold back and you don't want to admit to it. Remember that Jesus says, to take up your cross, to be identified with him, to be unashamed of who you are in Christ and what he has done for you, and to be able to share that with people is one of the marks of our discipleship. I always remember, I told you this before probably about 20 years ago, but uh, I'll, I'll guess you don't remember. Uh, when I worked in summer jobs I had uh, was in a wholesale clothing firm. And uh, we, we worked upstairs. And, uh, you know, one of the tricks I learned was how to tie a brown paper parcel with cord and cut the cord just using the fingers. Tried that a few years ago and nearly took the finger off me. Uh, uh, and, uh, but anyway, we worked upstairs. But downstairs, uh, people went to have their lunch. Uh, and one of the difficulties for me uh, working there as a student during the summers was that the boys used to pass around pornography. Uh, and so I didn't tend to take my lunch with them. Uh, but some years later, I was singing and testifying in what they used to call a coffee bar. Uh, and there was one of the boys who was there sharing the pornography. Uh, and he was there and he was one of the leaders and a Christian. I never knew he was a Christian. And I was a bit shamefaced to admit that he belonged to Jesus because at work he had compromised. And Jesus says, if you want to be my follower, please, please, not only follow me with total devotion more than for any other person or thing in this world, but don't be ashamed to take your stand for me and bear that cross It may be rejection, it may be uh, humiliation, it may be uh, people saying nasty things about you, but don't be ashamed of Jesus. Uh, And lastly, self-sacrifice, verse 39. Uh, Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Over the years, I've told you about some of the heroes of my Christian life, of my childhood, and all the way through. And uh, I've often quoted um, uh, from Jim Elliot. On the 8th of January 1956, when I was just five, Jim Elliot's life was taken by South American Aika Indians who he was trying to reach with his friends with the gospel. But before he went to that mission field that took his life, he expressed what Jesus says in verse 39 in this way. And I love these words. He is no fool 
who gives what he cannot keep, that's our lives, to gain that which he cannot lose, eternal life. And you see, when Jesus says total, a total devotion to me, unashamed identification, self-sacrifice, it means that for us we have an understanding that we are not fools who give what we cannot keep to gain what we cannot lose. And when we understand that no sacrifice is too great, or to love Jesus, says Jesus himself, is to find life, even eternal life. So there we have it. To be equipped for discipleship, for kingdom living. Jesus warns of persecution. But he assures us that we are greatly valued and loved. But yearns that we would be fully devoted followers of his. And I wonder what your response is this morning. Maybe that you'd like someone to pray with you, and I guess members of the prayer ministry team will be available here at the front. They'd love to come and chat with you and pray with you and listen to you. But let's just try and tease this out in, in some worship. Invite the worship team back up this morning. Uh, and uh, we're going to sing uh, a couple of songs, maybe with a prayer in between. Uh, and the first song is uh, one that uh, I think describes where we are before God. Sometimes in our lives we feel our discipleship, our following Jesus is overwhelming. We feel we're swept away by the waves. Uh, and uh, yet if we want to be followers of Jesus, there's a little phrase in this song, Oceans, let me uh, uh, walk upon the waters wherever you would call me, for I am yours and you're mine.